So this morning we want to look here a little bit as we examine this. We'll get to this, uh, this text a little bit more in a few minutes. We want to think about baptism. Think about those questions, what it is. So many of us, I know, understand we've been baptized and, and this is not new information, um, but it's here to, to help us, to encourage us, to help explain it to others, which is important. But there are some who haven't been baptized and who need to know the details, and so that's what it's here for also. So let's start this morning with that first question of what is Baptism, And just start with the basics right at the beginning. What is baptism? And let's start simply, I'll simply make the statement, then we'll work through. So firstly, this, when we talk about baptism, baptism is immersion in water. That's the, the basic sense of what it is. Baptism is immersion in water. So, uh, that's the, so you understand where we're going and what all the pictures mean. That's simply it. We're talking about immersion in water. And we get this and we start this from here, because the first thing that we know about what baptism is in Scripture is the word that's used. And this is, this is important. This is not the linchpin of, of all things, but it's, it's helpful and it's informative here. The word that's used throughout the New Testament to baptize is the, a, a word which means to, to dip, to immerse, to dunk. Uh, and and uh, you know, for many people, when they, they think of baptism, when you talk about baptism, they're most of the time outside of, of church, so if you talk to them about salvation or whatever, you say, well, I was, I was baptized as a baby in this church or that church, but never really do anything with it, but that baptism apparently is, is, is good enough for them, whatever their life looks like, regardless of, of what it was like. And many people have been baptized, but don't really understand it and know the, you know, the, the consequences or, or what it was really all about. So we want to start by examining just the definition. Now, we get the word baptize is simply really, it, it's not translated, it's a transliteration, right? Because the original, the Greek word is baptizo, uh, and we've just, in, because it had such a common knowledge to it and understanding of it, they didn't translate it as immerse, they just transliterated it. That is, we took the Greek and we just made it baptize, put it, Englishized it, Anglicized it, if you, you will, uh, and that's because, because the meaning behind it was so well understood uh, at, at the time. There are similar words used uh, in Scripture which all have the same basic meaning. But the word which is used of, of water baptism throughout Scripture, the baptizo, is a word which is more intense than the other words that are used for water, uh, for dipping or immersing. This has a particular intense part of, of uh, immersing. The words which are used, the Greek words which are used for pouring, or sprinkling, which you do find in the New Testament, in the New Testament are never used in connection with uh, water baptism. Uh, it, when it comes to water baptism in the New Testament, it always uses the word baptizo, which is to immerse, not to pour or to sprinkle. Um, and so it's a fairly certain word. It's a fairly uh, strong word in regards to dipping, immersing, or dunking. It was often, at the time, connected with dying, not dying, like, but dying as in dying material. So you take the material and you would plunge it into the dye, uh, immerse it into the dye so that that material would take on the, the color of the dye. And so that's how it was often used and, and what it often referred to was plunging the, the material into the dye to dye it a color and bring it out. So that's the picture that is with the word there, to plunge and to dip. So when the New Testament speaks of, of baptism, it's speaking in terms of immersion in water. Uh, that's the, the word that's used, that's its intent to use. And as you would expect with a church that has Baptist in its name, our history of the Baptist is fairly strongly connected to this truth. Uh, and there are reasons for that. We're not going to get into the history because I'm not here to bore you to death in many ways, but uh, just that's part of our, our history. So one of the things we need to understand is, firstly, when, when we talk about the word baptize, it does mean to dip, to immerse, and to, to uh, submerge. The second thing is here is that immersion is the pattern in the New Testament. That's what we see taking place throughout the examples of baptism we see in the New Testament. The circumstances of baptism in the New Testament further this illustration of immersion. Now, baptism wasn't unknown before John or before Jesus. So this wasn't something that just appeared. It wasn't something that John the Baptist started and, and people wondered, well, what's he doing? This is different. 
uh, and then Jesus continued. The baptism was something which the Jews did before. It was part of becoming a proselyte, that is, becoming a Gentile to a, a, uh, a Jew. It was part of, of many of the, the leaders' uh, things for, for repentance. And so baptism wasn't an uncommon or unknown thing to the people when John and Jesus came. It was a, a picture, it was something that was already being done. Now, John the Baptist, of course, was known for his, his baptizing. And one of the things that we see of that is we, we read in Mark chapter 1 just earlier when it speaks of Jesus' baptism. And in verse 9, it says to us this, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, the in is an important word because it means that it was in the water. The water was not on. So it's, it's meant that way so that the baptizing is taking place in water, not water is going on something. So that's an important structure there in that regard. So when Jesus comes to be baptized, he goes into the water and John baptizes him in the Jordan. In other places where we see the baptism of John, it says in John chapter 3, and verse 23. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem. So he's out basically outside the major cities and all. It says now he was there baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. So why is he there at that place? Because there's much water. There's much water there. Now I'm, I'm not going to be um, disrespectful to other traditions of baptism, but to me it just doesn't seem to make much sense if you're going somewhere where there's a lot of water and all you need is a couple of drops. Uh, so here there's a reason that they're there. They're there because there is much water, and the much water is needed to be baptized. You're in Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight is is uh, perhaps one of the, the places where we go most often in regards to seeing baptism because it's where Philip is brought to meet the Ethiopian as he travels back to Ethiopia. He's in his uh, uh, chariot and he's reading through the scrolls of Scripture, can't understand it. God brings Philip to him, explains it to him. Philip, uh, or the, the, the Ethiopian, uh, decides this is true. I believe, he says, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so it says that, that he wants to be baptized, so they stop the chariot. And there in verse 38 of Acts chapter 8, it says, So he, that is, uh, he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Again, there's that pattern of them stopping going down into the water and then coming back up out of the water. So this is the, the, the start. And there's many more. We'll see some more examples of this as we, we go through and see other things. But the pattern is already developing from the beginning. It's already a well-known pattern from before Jesus of what baptism was. It was to dip and to immerse. So over and over and over again in the New Testament, when it speaks about baptism, it speaks about being in the river, uh, not by water. So being baptized in water, not by water. Now, it wasn't until about 200 or just after 200 AD that we have the first recorded uh, writings of anything about anything other than uh, immersion as baptism. It was Tertullian in one of his writings where he first writes and mentions this, and this is the first place we have anything of sprinkling or pouring mentioned, and he's writing about it as something which is uh, aberrant to the normal practice. Uh, and so that's the first time. So it's not until uh, after 200 AD that we find the first mention of the practice at all in history. History does tend to bear out and does in fact bear out that the pattern of the New Testament church was indeed immersion. John Calvin, who is you know, the, at the center of the Reformed and, and Covenant theology, uh, who did in fact uh, baptize babies and all, said this. Now, this is in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, his greatest work of theology. It says, it is evident that the term baptize means to immerse and that this was the form used by the primitive or early church. 
So John Calvin is a little bit schizophrenic in that regard. The, the context even shows that you can find that in his, his institutes there, uh, where he, he says, you know, you can do whatever, but really the practice has always been immersion. So those two things start. We see that it is uh, the word that's used, the, the pattern that's used. And thirdly, immersion is the symbol which best pictures the gospel. It best pictures the gospel. And this moves us to the heart of the matter. And this will uh, tease out a little bit here as we get to Romans 6 and and on just a moment. But this moves us to the heart of the matter. See, baptism is not the gospel. But it is about the gospel. And that's what makes this so important. It is not the gospel. So baptism cannot and does not save a person. You do not get any special spiritual rights or anything from baptism by being baptized. None of that comes to you. But it is about the gospel. And that's at the very heart of what it is. It represents what the gospel is. Paul gives us that gospel very clearly and what it represents. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in his great chapter on the gospel and resurrection... He says in verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. There's the Gospel in a nutshell, right? The, The essence of what the Gospel is, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. That's the gospel. That's the essence. That's the nutshell of the gospel there. In Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 12, it says, Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So there he's connecting to us that picture of baptism with the truth of what Jesus Christ did. The faith in him is connected there together. That the gospel is at the heart of what baptism is, what it represents and what it should be. So let's move to our our second thought uh, in regards to what baptism is. It is immersion in water, but it is a symbol of salvation. It is a symbol of salvation. And that's where we're going to take a a look here just a little bit in Romans chapter 6. Because that's what Paul is using here as an example. Uh, uh, the picture, so the context that he's giving us in Romans is, you know, it's his great treatise on what the gospel is, what it is to be saved, and how that works, and what it means in our lives. And now as he comes to chapter 6, he's going to give us this illustration to remind us and put the two together. And one of the things that he shows us uh, here as he talks about it is indeed that baptism does picture your salvation. So verse 4 of Romans chapter 6, he says, Therefore... We were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This is just like uh, Christ died and you at baptism, the picture that's given there. Baptism is a picture. It is a testimony. It is an illustration of what the gospel is. It is designed to show outwardly what has taken place inwardly. So what God has done through faith on the inside, that is to make you dead to sin and alive to new life because of his death, burial and resurrection. What has taken place on the inside is now expressed outwardly. So it is an outward expression of God's work in our life. We've seen, as we read just a moment ago, that the gospel is in its nutshell form, the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and new life. That's at the heart. And that is what baptism is meant to show. That very picture. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's meant to show what Jesus did for us. That he died on the cross. So, down into the water. That he was buried under the water. That he raised again, coming up out of the water. That's the picture. That's what it's designed to show. The gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the message that baptism is always connected with. Now, our brothers and sisters in Christ who 
choose to baptize by pouring or sprinkling do in fact give those uh, um, pictures to them. So uh, the pouring of water is often said to represent the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at salvation on a believer. And so it's a picture of, of that. Those that sprinkle often say that it represents the sprinkling or the washing away of sin by the word of God and the Holy Spirit. The difference between those uh, pictures or those ideas of the picture and this picture of immersion is that the Bible connects immersion with the gospel. It doesn't anywhere connect the idea of pouring water on us with the idea of the Holy Spirit being poured on us or sprinkling water on us to speak of being washed of sin. It doesn't connect those two as picture reality. But it does, over and over again, picture baptism immersion with the gospel of death, burial, and resurrection. Those two go together very closely throughout Scripture. Many of our more covenant theology brothers and sisters in Christ, that is, who, who uh, see things more as the covenant transitioning from Israel to, to, uh, to the church, speak of baptism replacing the sign of circumcision. Again, well, the Bible does speak of baptism as a, uh, in, in connection to circumcision. It only does so in regards to circumcision of the heart, which always has reference to salvation, uh, never to the covenant of God made with Israel. And that's how the two, baptism and that, are connected throughout the New Testament. So baptism is about teaching the gospel. That's at the heart. That's what it is for. Baptism is about teaching the gospel. When you see a baptism, you have children that haven't seen and you see that baptism, explain to them what it's about. Why are we seeing someone go under the water and come back out of the water? You know, if you have friends that, that come along or family members that, that see a baptism, tell them what it's about. Why, why are we dunking people underwater? That seems a really odd thing for a church to do. You take them to a pool and you stick them underwater and you bring them back up. What's the, the Explain to them that this is a picture of the gospel. It is designed... To be a witness. It is designed to be a testimony of what Christ has done. So not only do we see that it's a picture of your salvation, but one of the other things that Paul shows us here is that it is a picture of your unity with Christ. It is a picture of the unity that comes between the one who believes and Jesus Christ. So verse 5 of Romans chapter 6 says, for, <clears throat> pardon me, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. It speaks of that unity that comes. You know, we talk about being in Christ and being brought into the family of, of God and the unity that comes in Christ. And baptism pictures that also. By believing in Jesus for salvation, it wasn't just he who died. He did the hard part. You know, he actually died. But in the likeness here, what, what the Bible teaches us is that by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died for our sins, we are saying that my sins, my nature died with Christ on that cross. And so in baptism, we're also seeing that picture that, that in Jesus Christ, I died. And in Jesus Christ, I came alive to new life. To eternal life. So it's that picture of the unity with Christ which comes. That his death was for me. In my place. And so his life is for me. And in my place. I believe Jesus rose for my salvation. And my eternal life. So when he arose. My sin was buried. And my new life began. Which is the third point really that Paul gives us here. Is that it pictures your new life. In Christ. From verse 4, it says, Therefore we, buried, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. 
knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. Paul wrote it in a different way, like this, to the Galatians, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When Christ died and, and you put your faith in him and he died in your place, sin is done away with. Sin nature is left dead in the ground. The power of sin died over you. It is gone. And then I am raised to newness of life, to a new beginning. Paul says it again in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. And that is the picture that's taking place when you're baptized. You're saying that and you go down. Who you were before Christ is dead. And when you come up, saying, I am a new person. I am Jesus' own people. It is leaving behind what was and rising to what is. A new and glorious picture of new life. So, with those simple thoughts there, or, or uh, covering those things quickly here, let's move to the second question, which is, why be baptized? Why does it matter? That's, that's the picture, that's what it's about. Why do we need to be baptized? Well, the first reason is this. Baptism identifies us with Jesus Christ. Baptism identifies us with Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 3, we have Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism. And in his account of Jesus' baptism here, it says in verse 13 of Matthew 3, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. So here's the picture. Of course, John is out there and John is baptizing about repentance and the need for salvation. He is still looking forward because we read in in Mark before that there is one coming after me who is preferred before me. So John's baptism is, is there. It's about repentance and the need for salvation. And Jesus comes to him and John knows who he is. He says, why are you coming to me for baptism? You don't need to repent. You you don't need this. You're the one who's bringing salvation. And Jesus says to him, no, wait, we need to do this. This is part of fulfilling righteousness. This is part of what is doing, what needs to be done, which is right. So why is Jesus baptized? Well, firstly, amongst here, we see one of the things that he is showing here is that he is showing submission and obedience to the will of the Father. This needs to be done. It's part of the law. It's part of what God expects. It's part of righteousness. So the first thing that we understand about this is that Jesus is submitting himself to the obedience and to, to obedience and the will of the Father. So baptism for us has the same import that it is a submitting of ourselves to God and his commands. It is the first, really the first call of obedience that is given to any believer to be baptized, to submit to the will of God, to obey him in this simple thing. Pastor in in America, Mark Dever, says this about baptism. He says, getting wet is the easiest command Jesus gave us to follow. It only gets harder from there. Right. So that's the start. It's just simply, I mean, how hard is it to say, all right, I'll get wet. Um, For some people, it it can be. I remember we had a a lady once in our church who it took her a long time. It took her a long time to get baptized because she was afraid of water, terrified of water. I mean, her husband was a deep-sea fisherman, but she was terrified of water. And so it took her a long time to overcome that fear, but she knew she needed to do it. And so she she stood there in the the baptistry just white as a ghost and stiff as a board. Uh, But she got baptized. Uh, because she knew she needed to do that. But the importance here is more than just obedience. It is about obedience. It is about submission to God. So it is about that. But it is not only about that. There is more importance to it here than that. Because is it the obedience of Jesus' life only that saves us? 
You know, if Jesus lived a, a perfect life all the way through, including fulfilling all righteousness by living right, by being baptized, by doing all of the right things, would that save us? No. It's not just the right living of Jesus that saves us. That is a very important part of what he did. His right living is very important, but it is not what saves us. He needed to die. So if we're going to fulfill all righteousness, Jesus is telling us something more than just submission and obedience. He's telling us if righteousness is going to be fulfilled, we know that it requires his death and resurrection. So when Jesus says here that he needs to do this to fulfill all righteousness, this is the first indication that he is putting into baptism a very important picture, a very important truth. This is going to mean something. This is going to be important in the future. It must be done. Not because I need to repent, not because I need to do this, not because I have any inkling that I will disobey God, but because this is part of God's will and what I'm going to do in the future. So here, Jesus makes the first connection of baptism with what he is here to do. So we get baptized because Jesus got baptized. That's the first reason we ought to do it. We get baptized because Jesus got baptized. The second thing here is not only do we follow his example... But the second thing is, we get baptized because we want to obey his command. Obey his command. When Jesus left us, he left the church with instructions. Matthew 28 gives us uh, one of the, the places where he says that. And amongst the things that he says in those verses at the end of Matthew 28 is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The command that he left us as the people of God is to baptize people. We baptize people and then we teach them and disciple them, train them to be what God intends them to be. It is an integral part of what Jesus gave the church to do. Preach the gospel, baptize, and teach. That's our mission. That's the core. That is what a church is for. Preach, baptize, teach. That's what we're told to do. Now, Peter knew the intent of Jesus' words when he said that. As in Acts chapter 2, later when Peter is indeed speaking the gospel, and he says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. At one point later on in Acts chapter 10, he's even more certain about what Jesus meant here when he says, And he commanded them to be baptized. This is, this is what Jesus says to do. You need to do it. So the command is there. So we get baptized because we follow the example of Jesus, because Jesus was baptized. We get baptized because that's what Jesus told us to do, to be baptized. Too many Christians think that baptism is optional. You can be a good Christian and not be baptized. Jesus never left that option open. It was a command. Get baptized. Third thing in this regard is this, uh, that Baptism announces your salvation. Baptism announces your salvation. Baptism is a commitment. It is a commitment. It is a tangible, accountable way that you are saying, I believe Jesus. That's part of what it's for. A tangible, accountable way that you are saying to the public, I believe Jesus. It is your announcement. It is your testimony of saving faith in Jesus Christ. It is not your parents' announcement. It is not your husband or wife's announcement. Or your pastor's announcement. It is your announcement. It is your personal announcement to say, I believe Jesus. It is for me. It is not your parents or somebody else giving you to the Lord. That's not what it's about. It is you saying, I believe. Saying that your faith in Jesus is real and evident. You need to be baptized. But don't be baptized because I want you to. And don't be baptized because your parents want you to. Or your spouse wants you to. Those are important things, and those things you would hope they would be for you, that your parents, your spouse, or, uh, or, or your children, 
and I would be for you. Those are important things, and we want that. But you don't do it for us. You do it for Jesus, because you want to say, I love Jesus, and he died for my sins. It is your announcement of your salvation. It's not them, it's not anybody else that's proclaiming Jesus. You are. When you are baptized, it is you proclaiming Jesus. The baptism identifies us with Jesus Christ, but it also identifies us with Christ's people. Okay, something's happened with the computer, so we're gonna, you'll just have to follow along and, and catch with me on the notes. Okay? So baptism identifies you not only with Jesus, but it identifies you with Jesus' people, with God's people, with Christ's people. One, it shows people that you are one of God's people. So you are saying, you're identifying yourself with Christ by saying, yes, by being baptism, I'm showing you what Christ did for me and I am proclaiming to you that I am a child of God. But it is also saying by being baptized, not only am I identifying with Christ, but I am identifying with Christ's people. All those who have identified themselves here. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about, it says we have one faith, one Lord, one baptism, which is not water baptism, But what water baptism does show is that community that comes, that binding which has been poured out on us where we are the people of God. By identifying with Jesus, you are also identifying with the people of Jesus. This is a tangible, accountable identification that is an important part of the Christian life. You are saying, I am one of you. And the church is saying... You are one of us. It goes both ways. You're saying, I'm one of you. And the church, as it takes you into baptizing you, is saying, yes, you are one of us. The commitment is made to each other and community is established. So it shows that you are committed to God's people. While baptism is an individual announcement of salvation... It is. It is an individual announcement of salvation about you saying that you believe. Baptism is also a church announcement. It is also an announcement from the gathering of God's people there that is doing the, the, the baptizing. By the authority that Jesus gives to his church in Matthew chapter 18, by baptizing you, that church is saying on God's behalf, you are a Christian. They are recognizing the work of God in your life. See, the role of the church is to protect the gospel. It is our job to proclaim the gospel, but it is also our job to protect the gospel, to keep it pure, to keep it right, to do what needs to be done so that is true. And we do that. The church's role to protect the gospel is done by identifying who is and who is not saved. So when a church says, yes, we will happily baptize you, It is the people of God recognizing the work of God in you and saying, yes, we see God at work. And on God's behalf, we welcome you into our family and we acknowledge that you are part of God's family. Spirit baptism, which we're not talking about today, places one into the organism, if you will. Water baptism admits one into the organization, the physical uh, replications of that. Thus, water baptism has been traditionally from the beginning, and and we see it even in Scripture, the entrance into church membership. So in places like Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So let's move to the the next question, and these last two are are quick, so don't worry that we've gone long, because the first two are about the the details. These next ones are are not so intense. But the third question is, who should be baptized? And the answer to that question is really fairly simple. And the first answer, baptism is for believers. Baptism is for believers in Jesus Christ. That's the simple, straightforward answer. Throughout the New Testament, what we see is baptism always follows belief. Never before, it follows belief. I cannot stress enough that baptism is believers. Because by saying that, this is what I'm saying, it does not save you. You are not getting saved by being baptized. You are not finding God's grace in the waters of baptism. 
That's already been done. It is not for those who aren't saved. It is for those who have already been saved. We read just a moment ago in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. It says, then those who gladly received his word. That is, they took in the truth. They believed it were baptized. We saw in in Acts chapter 8 when we talked about the the Ethiopian and, and Philip. It says they went down into the water for in verse 38. But verse 37 is the proclamation. The Ethiopian says, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And it's after that declaration, it's after that profession of belief that Philip takes him down to be baptized. Not before, but after. In Acts chapter 16, and Acts chapter 16 where we see the Philippian jailer, uh, is, is one of the passages which is often used to speak about household salvation. And that is if the, the, ad, uh, the parents believe, then that passes to the children. But there's more to it than that. It doesn't, it doesn't illustrate that at all. What we have in Acts chapter 16 is it says that he and his house were saved and he and his house were baptized. Why? Verse 34 says they believed. Why were they baptized? They believed. Each one of them. Baptism follows belief. And that's the pattern all through the New Testament. Preach the gospel, believe the gospel, baptize. It's for believers, but it's administered by the church. Baptism is a rite, it is an ordinance which is given to the church. It's not given to individuals or to a Bible organization. Is given to the church. Churches are given the the responsibility to administer that. Means that a body of believers are the ones that are authorized by God to baptize. To say this is someone we recognize is one of Christ's. I mean that context traditionally from the beginning that authority the the gathering of the church usually delegates the the right to do that baptism, usually to the leadership of the church. doesn't always have to be that way, but usually and most often the actual carrying out of the process is delegated to the leadership of the church. We say it is the authority of the church itself that has the authority to baptize. So it's not held in the leadership. It's not held in a person. It's held in the body, the body of Christ. Now, Baptism can be for children. And this is something I wanted to to speak because it is a question which often comes up and is an important question. Particularly when we talk about infant baptism and, and things like that. Baptism can be for children. But just like we talked about before, if baptism is for believers, the same is true for children. Baptism is for children who believe. Baptism is for children who believe. Uh... There's much discussion about when a person should be baptized. I know some churches that limit uh, baptism to those that are 12 or 13. So until you get to 12 or 13 years old, that church won't baptize you. Uh, Always, a church, when it comes to the baptizing of children, a church should always proceed with caution. Now, because if baptism is a church recognizing your salvation... And affirming that on God's behalf, which we have seen at least somewhat this morning, that is a big responsibility. That is the gathering of God's people looking at someone and saying, we affirm that you have believed Jesus Christ. And we can say that you are a child of God. Now that's an important and big responsibility. The Bible doesn't give any age guidelines in regards to baptism. But we never want to affirm salvation prematurely. We never want to affirm salvation in someone before we know that they understand the gospel. It's like with, with my, my children. Okay, they, they want to get baptized. Now that didn't happen over a week. Okay, that's the culmination of years of talking and waiting, listening and explaining and having them speak to us. And the same is true with, with any. We, we want children to, to know Jesus Christ. We want them to be baptized. But we need to be very careful. And know what is really at the heart. The last thing we want to do 
is to affirm salvation in someone who doesn't understand what salvation is, be that a child or an adult. And so the, we, we should always proceed with caution. We're not going to rush into it. We're not going to push it. Ch- children need to be certain. The parents need to be certain. And the church needs to be assured. However, if those things are met, if the, the child of whatever age can show us and, and can say what the gospel is in their understanding, and their parents can affirm, yes, we see this. And the church can look and say, yes, we, we, we believe that the child knows what salvation is. We believe the parents know and have taught rightly. Then we can baptize. But we always proceed with caution. Right? This is because we don't want to make the mistake. Too many, and we have seen, and it is, it's true in, in other places, too many places, so that we can have numbers and say we've had this many baptisms this week, we'll baptize anybody who says they want to be baptized. And, and that's, really, that's a, really quite a, a concern amongst Christianity in general. And so the wisdom says, yes, we will baptize, but we will do so with care. Baptism isn't for infants, though. Baptism isn't for infants. Baptism in the New Testament is always for believers. There is no record in the New Testament of infants being baptized. Now, and on a more light note, nobody really wants to see me take their little baby into a big pool of water, do they? Um, that's going to be a frightening thing. <laughs> but there is no record of it in the New Testament. We don't here even really do baby dedications. Uh, we, we do parent dedications, and we have done parent dedications before. Uh, where we as a church and as the people of God dedicate ourselves to the encouragement and help and strength of the parents to, to train up their child and to encourage them and their children. Um, we do that to support and encourage and pray for the parents and children. We won't baptize your child, but we will certainly help you in every way possible to bring up your child in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So let me get to the last point, which is the practical point, and that is, how can I be baptized? How can I be baptized? Well, the first point is going to be this, be saved. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then this is all irrelevant. This is where we need to start. We can't consider baptism until you are certain that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you haven't recognized your need to be saved from sin and you haven't asked God to, for, to forgive you of that sin and believe that Jesus died to pay for your sin, that's what we need to talk about first. That's where we need to start, in your salvation from sin. Having done that, though, let me give you just a, a few of the, the practical details. Because I know some people haven't seen baptisms, and young people often don't understand, so I like to make sure that we allay any fears of what happens. This is no weird ritual where you've got to prepare yourself in certain ways and uh, you know, anoint your heads with oil and, and have the right nose clips and all that. It's, it's all fairly straightforward and it's fairly easy. Okay? The first thing to know is there really is no interrogation or test. Right? That's one of the first questions people ask. Is there a test? Is there a board? Is there, a, you know, how do we, is there an interrogation? Right? There really is no interrogation or test. You don't have to explain to me what tulip is and whether you're a four or five point Calvinist or what the depths of salvation are, that you don't need to explain to me all of those intricacies of what salvation is and what the Bible teaches it is. You don't need to know the Bible in a great depth. It's not about having it all together. So baptism isn't about having it all together. What we do need to know is do you understand the gospel? That is, do you know what the gospel is about? That it is Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and rose again, and that by believing on Jesus Christ, you are forgiven of your sins. Because God is holy, and I am not, and I need to be rescued from judgment. And that understanding, of course, can be expressed in different ways, and so we ask different questions, and different ways so that we we can know, because that's part of the church's responsibility, do they understand the gospel? 
And that's the key point of what we want to understand, what we want to know. So we're not going to delve into the great deep. We're simply going to ask and, and, and talk about what is the gospel? Why were you saved? And do you know what you were saved from? That's a simple conversation because usually by the time people come to me for baptism, we've often had those conversations on several occasions before. Uh, so that's usually a fairly simple conversation. I met with some people just like we on the same thing, and we sat there. There was no scary writing. You don't have to write an essay. It's a fairly straightforward thing. Now, when the baptism happens, what happens at a baptism? Um, now, because we don't have a place, we, we haven't got a place, we rent buildings, we have to find somewhere. We sometimes the ocean or the river or uh, another church building where we can use those, those facilities uh, to do that, you know, with this one coming up because it's winter and it will involve children. I'm endeavouring to find somewhere that's not cold, uh, so in a building. So the the details of where that's at, I will let you you know in that regard. So because of that, we usually do it in the afternoon. So Sunday afternoon, we'll gather together. It doesn't take a long time to do it. We get together, we enjoy the this celebration together. And you can invite anyone you would like. In fact, we encourage you to invite anyone you would like because it is a testimony of the gospel and a way to share the gospel with people. Uh, if you're being baptized, you know, wear, wear modest clothing you can get wet in. Uh, and so you can get wet and it's not going to be a, a problem and bring a change of clothes and a towel. That's it. That's what you need to bring. Bring something you can get wet in and something you can change into afterwards. When we're in the water, this is essentially what happens. I'll be in the water. I'll say a few words, usually of, of introduction, to mention uh, what's, what's happened. You can come into the water. Uh, for, for some, uh, you can give a short testimony if you want, but I don't require that, particularly with children, because it can be daunting. Uh, and you know, they're frightened enough as it is to be in front of people. But I will do this. At least I will ask one question. And I will ask, do you know... Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that you will go to heaven. And by this stage, if you don't answer yes, I'm going to hold you under the water. <laughs> Not really. All you have to do is say yes. Because by that stage, the formalities have been, this is just a proclamation that this is what we're doing. Okay? It, it can be a little more than that at times. But for those that are uneasy about that, simply a proclamation that, yes, I believe Jesus died for my sins. Then I'll say a few words, and it's usually something like, upon your public profession of faith, and in obedience to Jesus Christ as your Savior, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then you can grab my arm, if you like, and use your other hand to hold your nose so the water doesn't go up your nose. And then the most important thing, bend your knees. Right? Bend your knees and we'll just lay back. I'll hold you with my arm. Okay? The, the, the last baptism I did, the guy was much bigger than me. Much bigger than me. And I was worried all week. Can I get him up? I don't know if I'm, I'm going to get him down there. I'm not going to be able to get him up. Praise the Lord. We got down and we got him back up. So I've never lost anybody yet. Right? So, so you, we'll go down. If you bend your knees, okay, if you bend your knees... We're going to come back up, right? If you keep your knees straight, we're going to end up upside down. So all you need to do, bend your knees. I'll carry you down with my arm and we'll come straight back up. That's it. Okay? I'm not going to hold you under the water long to represent Jesus being under the, in the grave for three days. Okay? We're going to go down and we're going to come right back up. Okay? And that's as simple as, as it is. And that's it. In that picture you have there proclaimed in a public fashion your belief in Jesus Christ. And baptism is a very important part of the Christian life. It really is. A strong, important part of Christian life. Far more important than many consider it to be. And it usually gets relegated to the bottom of things that people want as their benefits of Christianity and their responsibility. We, we want other things before we have that. But this has got to come first. Because this is the first command that Jesus gave us before all the other responsibilities and blessings that come with Christian and church life, this is the first thing he's asked us to do. And so that ought to be the first thing that we're willing to do before we start wanting other things from God. It's not an optional part of the Christian life. Now, you don't get any more of God by being baptized. 
You're not going to get any more of God. You're not going to come up out of the water with some special gift or come up out of the water as some different person. You got all of God at salvation. Everything that God is going to give you, he gave you when you got saved. There is no more to get. So there is no special revelation. There is nothing special that happens in or out of that water. The power of baptism is in the obedience and the identification that comes with it. The commitment that is coming from you and to you. Baptism says you are committed to Christ and to his people. It also means that we, the people of God, are wholly committed to you. If you need to be baptized or you want to ask more questions, please come and see me. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm happy to answer more questions and follow it up and, and answer any other things that you want. Um, I'm not trying to have a secret society here. It's important that we understand what it is and why we need to do it. So please ask me or email me. I'm, I'm happy to meet with you through the week or, or on Sunday afternoons. Whenever you want to meet, we can organize to meet and talk through some of those things. If baptism isn't your question and salvation is, please, please, let's talk. Please come and see me. Now, because this is uh, screens going and all, we won't sing a song, but we will have a, uh, a, a word of prayer to, to close this morning. But I'll leave you with these invitations and these things in regards to salvation or baptism. Please don't, don't drag it out. Come and talk to me about these things so we can do what needs to be done for the glory of God. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you teach us and what you guide us in. And we thank you for the many helps you give us in our Christian life, including baptism. A picture which reminds us of who we are and what you have done. A way to rejoice with each other. Encourage us and strengthen us, Lord, that those that may need to be baptized will desire to follow you in this step of obedience. And Lord, for those that may not know you as their Savior, Lord, may you open their eyes and soften their heart that they might come to know you as Savior from sin. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.